Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I want to just shout out and say thank you again for your generosity, for giving. It's been amazing to see the church come together and continue to give, so thank you for doing that. I just want to jump in um, and, and encourage you and let you know that we're, we're going through an entire new series, a collection of conversation around the book of James. So if you missed last week, I'm sure you have you know, some time on your hands. Go and watch that video because um, we talked about James chapter one and trials and difficulties and hitting a wall. And so this week we're hitting on James chapter two. And you know, it's, it's a very deep and dense type of chapter. And so if you don't mind, just give me a couple of like minutes of your time, maybe a little bit longer because this one's, it's, it's got a lot of meat to it. And so, um, so pause what you're doing. If you even want right now, pause the video right now, go invite your family into this conversation because I just want to encourage you more than ever, we must be focusing on the things internal, which is our soul, which is, you know, there's so much stuff going around the world. There's so much chaos, there's so much despair, so much fear. But what we get to do is we get to come together, we get to read the scriptures, and I'm incredibly excited just to to dig into this. So if you will, you know, we've marinated the meat and we've now put it in the oven. And so there's going to be a moment where I'm going to bring the meat out and and it's not going to be milk. It's going to be meat because it's really a a deeper conversation today. So, you know, we look at James chapter one and, and by the way, the title of this conversation is work it out and walk it out. I think that's the premise, the whole big picture of the book of James. James is saying, I understand that you believe and that's amazing, but are you actually living it out? Are you actually walking it out? Is there action and momentum and movement to your faith? And and that's what we're going to talk about. So we, we looked at James chapter one last week and it ends with this verse in verse one, chapter one, verse 27. It says this, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And just stopping right there, when you look at that word religion, we kind of can think of it as like this negative connotation where it can be really religious and we could like be so focused on the do, 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 and we forget about like the relationship. And so our context in the 21st century would say it's it's relationship over religion, but when you look into the context of James, it's, it's actually that same thing. James is saying religion and the, the context in that word is actually like true faith, honest faith, faith that produces deed and action. And so when you read that, if I could just change the word, it's relationship, right? So relationship that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, and here it is, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in other words, James is saying, actually care about the people around you and actually care about internally what's happening because externally there's gonna be some repercussions. There's gonna be some movement of what's going on internal should actually play out externally. And so James kind of dives into this and there's a couple other things that he unpacks. He, for example, in chapter two, he, we're not gonna read it verse by verse. He says this, that, that you should not show favoritism to the rich. So if someone were to come into Coin Church and they, they pull up with a Rolls Royce, uh, they got like diamond, a gold, a gold like watch, Rolex, and they're walking in, they got all the, the fancy clothes and the nice shoes, and they walk in, and, and what we can be inclined to is show favoritism to that person. We're gonna put you in the best seat. 
Uh, on the contrary, uh, someone that's homeless, maybe that doesn't have a lot, would walk in. Are we going to show them any different in regards to how we treat them? And James would argue, and James would say, that's not how this faith thing works. We are not supposed to show favoritism. So those are a couple examples. Another one is not giving empty hope to a person that's struggling. He, you know, it's a perspective would be go on and, and be fed and take care. So if there was you know, a single mother in our, our community and she came over to your house in the midst of everything that's going on, like right, right now within this pandemic, within this stay at home, and the single mother came into your house and they have kids and you know like they've, they've worked really hard but they lost their job, they're, they're hardworking people and, and they're just expressing to you like, man, I... I've kind of lost my job, I don't have the right finances, I don't have the right funds, and I'm really worried about what's gonna happen. James is saying this isn't true faith to say, oh, go and we're gonna pray that you're gonna be fed and be taken care of. He says, no, 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 no. Don't be the type of person to give empty hope to a person that's struggling. And then he unpacks it even further, and it's a kind of faith that actually produces works. And that's what we're going to focus on in this particular chapter. And again, this chapter is really the thesis statement of the entirety of James. So in in verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24, he says this. He says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Then he goes on to say, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies. So she had action to her actual belief in what was going on. And then 26 is really the premise. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so what's really interesting in this particular verse, these these couple verses at the end of chapter two, is there's a dilemma if we're gonna be true to the text. There's this theological dilemma that many people would argue and say, oh, now there's tension. Because James is saying one thing, and if we look at Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, particularly two-thirds of the New Testament, Many critics would say, you see, the Bible contradicts itself. You see, James is saying, you have to show works, and Paul is saying, no, you just have to be and actually believe. But the main important factor in all of this is context. If you're at your home, just whisper or encourage or say next to the person next to you, context. Context is so incredibly important. So Paul says this in Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, or in other words, apart from actual work. And that's important to know because I'm gonna, I'm gonna be jumping back from Romans as our, 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 one of our key texts and then James, which is like our, our actual text because it's so important. If, if you want the meat instead of the milk, we have to have this conversation. What really is James talking about when he says this statement, when he says, In verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So I like to give an example. It's a really, I already thought this through. It's a really bad like illustration, but bear with me. If if we were to be watching a movie right now and um, it's, it's the chronicles of the story of Johnny and Johnny finds himself in the wrong neighborhood and he's kind of like living the, the, like a really unhealthy lifestyle and 
he's crippled by, let's just say like a drug lord or a drug guy. And the drug guy tells him, and, and again, we're just, we, we see the scene of him going into a store and stealing candy. He steals particularly, I don't know, white chocolate Hershey's. And he steals the candy and we watch this, the story, not knowing the context, like man, judging Johnny. Wow, the guy is like stealing, he's a thief. But the context would be, the context would be that Johnny had a conversation with this drug guy and the drug lord said, if you do not go steal this candy, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your family. And really in the order, I'm going to kill your family and then I'm going to kill you. See, I think we would then look at the story in more of an aerial view and say, man, like I get why Johnny would do that. Like he's kind of has no choice right now in the story. That is what context is about. Context tells us the true purpose of what is actually taking place. And when you read what James just said and when you read what Paul just said, you have to ask yourself, what is the context? How James and Paul are using the same word in their core text, justified, that's the word justified, meaning made right with God. So here it is. There's two different justifications in these two different passages. And the first justification is court and ruled innocent when you would be justified by the judge. So say you did something really wrong. Say you were Johnny, you went and stole the candy and, and the, the court knew, the judge heard everything and the judge says, you know what? You're now justified, you're now made right and you're good to go. That is one meaning of justification. Another meaning is proving it, like you prove it, which is if you really did spend the money, so say you work at a particular job and you go out and you buy and you know the person you're talking to has like, they could really help with this big sale and you wanna move the company forward, but they, I don't know, they like a chocolate shake. I'm all about chocolate today, but they like a chocolate shake. And so you buy them the shake and you have the receipt to prove and justify why you actually made that purchase. So two different, one word, two different meanings. And if you look deeper into the text of James and to the, the person of Paul in Romans, you would see that they're two different contexts. So in these two texts, we are getting a declarative justification and prove it because the texts were different, the context were different. So here's the proof in the text. And as, as we look at this, and I know this is median, I know this is like a little bit different, and I know I'm really, I'm trying, I'm gonna preach, but this is really like more to teach. So if there's a pendulum that swings, oftentimes in this, in this faith walk, we like to get on either one or the other, especially at least for me when I was in high school, I found myself either on one side of the pendulum or on the other. And I, it was really hard for me to find like an, a healthy, even balance. On one end, there's this perspective that I just am okay because I got grace. Grace, 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 grace. And, and that really, to be honest, is where my heart's at. Like, the problem is you can be so far on the pendulum that you just do whatever you want. And like me, I, I would go do my thing in high school and then Saturday would come and then church would come on Sunday and I didn't have a choice so I had to go to church and I would just feel so guilty and I'd pray and ask God to forgive me. And I was like, okay, the grace, wow, the grace is so amazing. And then I went and did the same exact thing every single week, week on and week out. And I was, what Paul would say, I was abusing this grace. Then so you have people that are all about grace, not about actual work, not about actually doing something about this turmoil in your soul. And on the other side of the pendulum, you have people that are so focused on like the work or the law. And it's like very little grace. And it's like, hey, you're such a, if we're going and gonna be true to this context, the, the life 
and the world of James and the life in the world of Paul, we find ourselves with this Jewish religious custom. So in the day of Moses, there's 10 commandments. After the Moses, there's literally hundreds of laws that are added to this Jewish system. And so that's why we find ourselves when we're looking at the New Testament narrative with Jesus, Jesus actually goes and he heals someone on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees that were on this side of the pendulum, on the law side said, you are such a horrible person. Like you literally went and you broke the law and Jesus literally simply responds, this person needed healing and I didn't break anything. In fact, I've come to set the law straight. I've come to complete the law. So here's this paradigm, here's this perspective, these two different pendulums, and we have to talk about it, and we have to understand it. So Paul's context, again, was to respond to those that were hanging on the Jewish legal system. So in Romans 3, 21, we're going to turn there right now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, we're going to turn to Romans verse, or chapter 3, and it says this, which is really important for us to realize. 3 verses 21 to 26 says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are, here's our word, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because he, his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26, so he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and here's our word, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Paul's basically saying, straight up, it's not about the law, it's about what Jesus has done. So you, we're, we're kind of hanging on to that too much and we're now adding to this law and we're not adding to it. So again, here's the context of Romans. Paul, ever since the beginning of his ministry was, was kind of harassed in, in, in a way by these Jewish leaders. And what they would do is Paul would go, he would start a church, and once he would go into that particular region, there were like a lot of different Jewish synagogues. And so they were so confused because Paul was saying, no, 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 it's no longer about all of the laws. One example would be, if we're true to the context in the time, okay, now you know Jesus, that's amazing. And they loved it. They're like, wow, there's this Jesus who came, he was the Messiah. But Paul like, this guy, this Gentile just got saved. He believes in Jesus. He's got to be circumcised. Like, we, we have to do it. Like, he has, there's no way. And also, like, Paul, he, he wakes up and he has bacon in the morning. Like, that's like a no-go, right? So we have to kind of teach him about all these things, about what to eat, about a new way of living, and he's got to be circumcised. And Paul constantly on this side of the pendulum with the people around him was saying, no, it is not about that. It's about the grace that we receive through Jesus. And again, it's all about the context. So Romans 3 verses 27 to 28 says this, where then is boasting? 
Paul says it's excluded. And this is why we don't boast. Because if we boasted and we didn't have a really grace thing and it wasn't all about Jesus and it wasn't him standing before us, it wasn't about us being justified through Christ, then what we would do is just boast. Like, look at me. I have, I have really abided by all these laws. I've done everything I needed to do. So now look at me instead of looking at God. And so Paul says there's no more boasting. It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. And we could see when we're reading this, like, what the heck? Like, Paul, you're, you're literally saying exactly opposite of what James just said. But it's all about the context, right? Context of the Jewish law that had hundreds of do's and don'ts. So it's no longer for you to boast. That would be on you. Instead, we boast in God. Now let's go to James, right? James, we're in chapter 2. And here's the context of James. We learn from the whole of James responding to those that are trying to hold us back from the law. James is responding to a skewed, and I like that word, to a skewed, not fully understood view of Paul. And, and what I mean by that is James, is his, his readers, sorry, his audience is, is experiencing this skewed view of what Paul is trying to say. So they use this. Now think about this in that time and day. There's two pendulums, right? One is all about grace, Paul. One is all about the law, right? And so they have this skewed view because now they're going to James and they're like, dude, no, man, like it's not about the law anymore. It's not about my deeds. I'm now good with God, so I can do whatever I want. Like I can live freely. I can live it up. It's no longer about law. It's no longer about deed. I don't really need to help the orphan. I don't really need to help the widow. I don't really need to like do all these things. I just get to be and experience the grace of God. And James now is saying, no, that's not actually what Paul was saying. It's a skewed, not fully understood view. So James' context isn't the grace problem, it's the works problem. That's what we're reading right now. And to be honest, I think that's so perfect for our community and our people. It's not so much a grace problem, I think we get that. I think now it becomes a work problem and that's why I've titled it, Work It Out, Walk It Out. Like now it's time more than ever to live out our faith, have momentum in our faith and have action. So who were, were out trampling over the blood of Jesus um, with a careless lifestyle that we're purposely doing whatever we wanted and would say, well, what, I'm, I'm forgiven. Like, like, yo, like, like read your Bible. I'm like, I got the grace of God. So yeah, like I know I went and like lived it up. I know I went and did my thing. And I know like who cares at the end of the day, like I got this grace, right? And that's not what, what James is trying to say. He's actually trying to push against that because there was obviously been a problem in this community. So two different contexts. But Paul also speaks to what James speaks to. And here's where we go deep, right? Romans 5 verses 20 to 21 says this. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Meaning, the law was established to basically show like we are pretty like messed up. We're sinners, we, we, we always fall short, we never have it right. So the law really in the Old Testament was just to show us we're not gonna amount to perfection. There's no absolute way. 
right? And so he says, but where sin increased, this is Paul's language, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And we love that. We're like, yeah, amazing. We don't like, yeah, we've sinned and now grace increased. I fell, now God lifted me up. And all of that is true and I love that. Or else, like, I wouldn't be able to even be here. We wouldn't even be able to be confident to go and encourage others in their faith because we'd be so stricken by our mess ups. So Paul encourages this grace, which is amazing, but he goes on to go a little deeper. He says, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then I want to turn there. Turn there with me. Romans chapter 6 says this. It says, what then shall we say? Paul continues. He says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he says, by no means. Other translations will say, God forbid. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And before we go on any further, you know, this, this interesting perspective, if you actually look at the Greek, because I love that there's an, there's an, an exclamation mark in the actual grammatical text. Like there's, there's an exclamation mark and it's literally by no means. Like we have this grace, grace may abound in our sin. Jesus died for our death, for our mess up. And now should we go on sinning? Paul's like, absolutely not. By, by no means whatsoever, God forbid. And if you were to actually look at the Greek in this, let me share this with you because this is amazing to me. And uh, I probably won't ever say this again, but I just have to because I got to like express the text. If you actually look into the Greek, the, the, the expression of what Paul is trying to say is basically this. Hell no. Like, hell no. That absolutely not. No way, no shape, no form. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Hell no. Like, that's literally the actual the actual like drive and the actual push that Paul's trying to express to the people. And again, he's doing it to people that are so focused on the law. He's saying, yes, I get it. And it's all about grace. That's what Jesus came to do. But it's, it, we shouldn't live as though we're living old. And he goes on to say this, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized, that's you and me, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live, and I love this, a new life. Therefore, if I'm actually gonna be true to my faith, it's not, all about, it's not about the old. We don't want the old, right? We want the new. But in order to have the new from the old, there has to be change. There has to be movement. There has to be something that happens internally. There's God's grace over our life, over our mess up, but now we have to live it out so that we can actually experience the newness and beauty of God. So what, what was James preaching? James says this in James 2.14, what good is it, brothers and sisters, someone claims to have faith but has no deed? Can such faith save them? And then he goes on to, in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Then he goes on in verse 26 and he says this, as the body without the spirit is dead. If we would go to a funeral, if we would go and see a body, the spirit is no longer there, they are dead. And he says, so in the same way, so faith without deeds is dead. And I know this is like, the meat is out of the oven, it's right in front of you. You can take the milk if you want, but this is the meaty part. This is where I like my like a little bit medium well with like a little bit of, of red in it and, and it's, it's meaty and it's, it's mature. 
and it's, it's, it's a little dense, but this is where our faith has to come into play and have to come into action and have to come into movement. So exactly what Paul said. Paul said these same exact things that James said. He says this in Romans 8, 17. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. I love that. We're heirs. That's amazing. Like if, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we're heirs, meaning we have an inheritance. Heirs of God and co-heirs, it even gets better, co-heirs of Christ. But then he goes on to say this, this word if, right? And it's like this funny, like no one really likes the word if, especially when like you, you could go back to your childhood days. Your mom's like, yeah, I'll buy you that iPhone like if you get good grades, right? Like, yeah, I'll give your allowance if you go mow the lawn and wash the car and actually do your chores. And so this if is like, ah, it's, it's like a heavy, like, well, what's he trying to say? There's, there's more to it than this, and it's very true. Yes, we get the inheritance of God. Yes, we become co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his, whose? Christ's sufferings. And this is the meat part. This is the part where we have to wrestle with. In order for me to receive what God wants from me, I actually have to live it out. I actually have to be willing, and it's suffering to like not fully live by your flesh. Let's be honest. There's a paradigm in, in Romans chapter seven where he's talking, Paul's talking about the flesh and the spirit and how there's this fight and it's really hard at times and we can do all the good things, but still at the end of the day, our, our flesh fails us. That's why where grace abounds. If, if, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So Paul goes on, there's more scripture, just so we know, that Paul is not disagreeing with James and James is not disagreeing with Paul. In fact, if you look at the, 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 the chronological story of the book of Acts, there are many times where James, again, is a leader in the Jerusalem church, which sends out these people, which is one of them, Paul. James and Paul at a time have this conversation because the Jewish leaders are so focused on the circumcision and the food part that they're at this table with all these leaders and they're fighting over the people that are Gentile not Jew, and now they're saying, no, they have to be circumcised. James is there, Paul is there, and James obviously agrees with Paul. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5.13, but you are called to be free, so use your freedom not to indulge the sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. There's, there's a lot of do to that, right? Ephesians 2.8 says this, not of works that no one can boast. And it's like, we love that so much. Yes, it's amazing. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship to do good works. Like there's action, there's verb, there's momentum to that. Philippians 2.12 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but that's honestly when, it, when it's, it's, it's at the end of the day. Yes, there's the pendulum of grace and works, but this is the healthy middle ground. Work it out and walk it out. Colossians says this, once you were alienated from God, we love this, right? And we were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight and without blemish and free from accusation. And we wanna stop there. A lot of times we stop there, but he goes on to say, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel. So there's this constant, um, playing in constant tug between, yes, there's all this goodness from God's grace, but there's also like a part I have to play in it. James just makes 
In his context, he's making it very clear. Two different contexts of justification, one meeting, and here it is. True faith changes everything. True faith changes everything. You know, there's this interesting little passage of scripture. It says in James 2, 19, he just throws like this grenade in there. He says, you believe that there's one God. Like, yeah, I believe Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the community of Christ. I believe in the spiritual disciplines. I believe in the scriptures. I actually have a lot of scriptures memorized. Like, I believe in this God thing. James is like, good. Like, that's great. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. James is basically saying, you could know everything, you could understand everything, and in fact, the demons probably have a little bit more theology and understanding than you do, and they shudder, but they don't do anything about it. So what about you? Like, are you actually gonna do something about it? James is posing this to us, and I just thought it was funny. It was, it was good to put that in there because it's so important. So what does this mean to us as we wrap it all, all, all together? Faith alone saves. But the faith that saves, you never find it by itself. I wanna say that again, faith alone saves. But the faith that saves, you never find it by itself. It's always accompanied by true action, by true works, and by true momentum. If you find someone, the scripture says, the word of their testimony, right? There are people in our community that are doing so amazing and they're encouraging others and they're loving others and now people want to start coming and just experiencing the goodness of God. How on earth would other people know about the goodness of God unless they see it in our lives? Well, as Paul would say, there has to be a transition from the old into the new, and with that comes action, truth, true faith, and true momentum. So there's always found with fruit, it's always, this is true faith, it's always found with fruit on its branches. True faith is never alone. So we must look to Jesus, walk like Jesus, and be shaped and changed into the full person God is calling us to be. And I don't know about you, but I, the question I wanna ask myself is do I see real change in my life? Do I really see something happening? Do I really see fruit that are producing on the branches? And is there a new way of living and a new way of life? So I know that's like a lot, it's very meaty. There's a lot to digest in it, but I just want to encourage you, read James chapter two, look over these passages of scripture. I know it was a lot, but this is where the rubber hits the road. Are you really living your faith out? And are you really seeing true fruit produced by it. Hey, I love you so much. I hope this encourages you. I wanna pray for you right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that is on the other side of the screen, the other side of the computer screen, God, maybe with, by themselves, with their friends or with their family. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them as they dig deep into this scripture into the life in the book of James, that we would actually live out our faith, that there would be true fruit that comes on our branches, that we would see a transition between the old into the new. And I pray, God, that you continue to give us faith, continue to give us strength, continue to watch us, and to give us wisdom in this time of need, Father. We love you so much. I pray for every person. In your name we pray. Amen.